Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast, a show all about weather and science. I'm Storm Center 7 Chief Meteorologist McCall Vrydags. And I'm meteorologist Kirstie Zantini. We're two broadcast meteorologists in Dayton, Ohio, and we can't stop talking about weather. So when we're not on TV, we figured why not jump behind the microphone and talk about it some more. Each episode, we talk to experts and other fun guests to learn more about the atmosphere, space, and our changing climate. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you enjoy the show. I'm so excited for today's guest, Kirsty. We have Meredith Garfalo on with us. I'm sure if you're watching the video version, you're seeing her already. But for those of you that are listening to our podcast this week, Meredith is an Emmy Award excuse me, Meredith almost. is an award-winning, almost Emmy-winning, but you're <laughs> Emmy-nominated certified broadcast meteorologist. It's only a matter of time, Meredith. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> and a science space correspondent. She is currently a senior meteorologist for News 12 New York, covering the Hudson Valley, Long Island, and the tri-state area region, which by the way, is the region that I grew up in. Nice. So mom and dad are watching Meredith every day. Um, <laughs> she was the 2021 chair of the AMS station scientist committee. I was on the committee with her when she was the chair. Mm -hmm. I was very inspired by her and um, we made a great relationship that she nominated me (gasps) um, to become the chair elect, which I currently (laughs) am and will be the chair coming uh, next year. So thank you, Meredith, to that. That's how this relationship between us started. Um, And the committee really focuses on raising greater awareness and outreach when it comes to science education for viewers. Meredith has a whole really long bio, right? And we're going to talk to her more about that because she is such a unique person, a yeah. unique soul. But that's just a brief introduction of it. Meredith. Um, Kirsty was saying before we started, you feel like you know Meredith too. I know. <laughs> Meredith, you're all over the place. Uh, but I know, I know. I just need a space capsule, right? To start going all over the country. <laughs> that is fantastic. But a lot of times when we have other uh, meteorologists on, sometimes we want you to talk a little bit about your path. And Meredith is a Cleveland girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got a great Cleveland uh, shirt on right now. So uh, <laughs> Meredith, tell us a little bit about your story of where you started out, what got you interested in weather. Um, you know, we all want to know more. Well, first off, I'm so happy to be sitting here with you ladies, because as we know, it's such a small business, even though it's not. Mm -hmm. And so I already feel like I, well, I know obviously McCall from our calls, but Christy, like, I feel like we're, uh, we're already friends uh, this morning (laughs) doing this, but I was born and raised in Parma, Ohio, which is uh, South of Cleveland. And so that's why Cleveland born and bred, uh, still represent my hometown teams, even though I live in New York now, (laughs) (laughs) which is tough as Mm -hmm. we all know it's sports but um so I uh I've been wanting to actually be a meteorologist since I was three my mom survived and a lot of you that are watching from the Dayton area may remember the uh, 1974 super outbreak April 34th and my mom actually witnessed the tornado in Xenia forming across the street oh my goodness it touched down in the backyard their house was okay the next house this was a split level the, the first second half was gone and everything else in the neighborhood was wiped out and you probably can't see my goosebumps now wow, I'm feeling it yeah too. um she told me the story of her survival and the red cross and um there's just something it, it was almost serendipitous at that point because it paved the path for my interest in weather and severe storms and tornadoes. So now we do Facebook lives. Back then I was doing my own Fisher Price tape recordings of weather forecasts, Yeah, (laughs) making things up, um, which I actually still have to this day, which is really cool with technology. 
but it's always been something that was it was in my soul and my passion so I grew up watching the Noah videos and going to the mm -hmm. library and getting as many books as I could on severe storms and tornadoes and um, I went to Valparaiso University in Northwest Indiana Great where cool. I got my Bachelor of Science in Meteorology and Minors in TV and Radio Broadcasting. And then I did my internships with Tom Skilling at WGN TV. And the legend. I was, yes, I know. <laughs> the legend. <laughs> Um, he is great. And I also did uh, an internship with the radio station, WJOB. So I got to do some of their weather weather updates um, during the week. And then, yeah, my career just kind of lifted off from there. I've worked at TV stations all over the country, which has really been a blessing because I've gotten mm -hmm. to learn how to forecast seriously every type of weather. Right. I've lived and worked in Ohio, Indiana for college, Florida, um, California, Colorado, before ending up here uh, in the New York City market. So literally, I can say that I'm the type of career that started at one of the bottom markets and literally yeah. worked my way to the top. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great for any aspiring meteorologist. Mm -hmm. It's always nice to hear those stories. Uh, but just for anybody, especially weather enthusiasts, because there are a lot of people who maybe didn't pursue meteorology, but just like you, they've been touched by a severe weather mm -hmm. event and it's something that they are a hobbyist or a storm spotter. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. So while you're in New York, yes, you got to cover really really cool story. And our series for this new season is uh, our changing climate. So we've had each episode is kind of focused on something with climate change. So we now have you as our third guest. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's dive in. Yeah. And it's a very specific story. Yeah. We've kind of had like broad topics, broad topics things. for the past two episodes, but your story caught my eye when you posted it on social media. And this has to do with the eastern coastline, uh, how climate change is affecting the coastline there, specifically near Long Island, but I know you did a lot of research, um, and what's being revealed. So I'm going to let you take it away and kind of let our listeners and watchers know about this very special, interesting story and how our climate is impacting those regions. Well, when we, uh, my station decided to do a climate special and they asked us for ideas and I've seen so many climate stories that have been done and they're all, they're a lot the same. And so as a, not just a meteorologist, I also really enjoy and have dove into my storytelling and reporting skills and, and putting that in with my background in science and I started trying to think, well, what's something unique in this area that climate might be affecting? And I ended up finding an article by the BBC from years ago talking about how our shipwrecks from centuries ago are being impacted by things that are changing, such as water temperature and what's in the water. And so I thought, this is really interesting because when I looked there are more than 7,000 shipwrecks across the Northeast. Mm -hmm. wow. And some of these are dating back from the 1900s, the 1800s. And if you think about it as a scientist, it makes sense because back in the day, anytime we had fog events, mm -hmm. sometimes it would be hard for the ships to navigate their way toward shore. And then they'd end up coming into an area where they would run aground or right. they couldn't even see a lighthouse. I mean, there's so many events along the South shore of Long Island, for example, where ships just ended up coming in and crashing because they didn't have the tools and technology like we do today. And apparently what's going on under the surface is 
big storms like, for example, Superstorm Sandy and some of these huge swells that are coming in are actually tearing apart some of these shipwrecks. Mm. And I spoke to a diver who is one of the top divers in our region who actually goes down to the shipwrecks, you know, tells the stories. Sometimes they'll savage stuff that'll go into the museums and, you know, bring history back to life. But because of these intense waves and the warming waters, we're getting these changes and especially the ecosystems that are on these yeah. shipwrecks, because you see pictures. I mean, we think of the famous one of the Titanic. Mm -hmm. You see all these animals and little creatures and sea creatures that have made it home. Well, when the water temperature changes and you have different species that are either coming in or going out, you're changing the ecosystem upon the ship. And we think about ecosystems like on earth, like mm -hmm. on the ground, but there were actually ones that are underwater as well. And so because of Sandy, this one shipwreck um, that was a Canadian coal schooner back almost a hundred years, more than a hundred years ago now, part of it washed ashore because Sandy broke a part of what was underwater and brought it in. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> so when, when you came across this idea for this story, where did you start? I mean, yeah. did you just, <laughs> just start calling divers? Like what, where was that thought process? First thing I did was I thought, okay, I need this, I need two parts to this story. I need somebody who has seen this firsthand. Mm -hmm. And then I also need somebody that's an expert, you know, that's a re that, that has the background in science. So I started reaching out to some of my friends at NOAA and um, some of the climate research centers in DC, but I needed somebody local because as you know, with local news, you need that local angle. So mm -hmm. I ended up getting in touch with somebody who used to be in the news business, who knew a diver in the area who's featured in my story. And so I got on the phone with him and we started talking and I kind of told him what I was doing. And he recommended the Long Island Maritime Museum, which was great because they actually have a whole area on our shipwrecks here in the Long Island um, area. Wow. So we started talking and realized the more information we were getting that this was gonna be a really unique and, and interesting story. And so that's kind of how it all came together. That's so cool. What would you say is like the most surprising part of the story as you're going through it? Because I think yeah. a lot of times when we're doing these special stories, we're like, okay, this is my story. <laughs> and then you go into the story and you're like, wait, wait, wait. My mind is blown. My mind is blown. But this is my story. This part. Yeah. Was there a moment in this process that maybe your, your story path changed? Well, I've always been fascinated by the water in general. Um, so I think finding this new story of something, cause when I started to Google it, I thought, well, maybe there's other articles, other New York stations have done something. None of the local stations had really touched on it or mm -hmm. did features on it. And then I thought about, um, our fishing communities here mm -hmm. and we were talking about the ecosystems changing. Then another angle came to me of, mm -hmm. wow different fish are coming in or leaving. So this is right. gonna impact that. And I realized that yes, it may not directly impact us, but there are a lot of people that are fascinated with shipwrecks and a lot of fishers and a lot of you know, ways our coastline is changing, but we don't realize it's not just at the coast, it also goes beneath the surface as well. And that's when I really was excited to dive into this and find out more because that's, that's how we learn and as scientists, that's how we can help change what's happening moving forward when we bring things to light. 
I think it's also interesting too, because we talk a lot about um, climate change in the future, but this is like that direct connection to the past and how it's, you know, these shipwrecks happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but by disrupting them, you're kind of changing the past. You're changing what artifacts are able to get pulled up, what parts of the ships are becoming, you know, trash on, not trash, but it, it is. It's like, if you've got a ship that goes up onto shore that was underwater for years and years, you know, that's a whole nother issue of dealing with that kind of debris. And then really the ecosystems, I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. All the fish and the coral and everything that lives on those old boats, if they're getting displaced, that's crazy. I, I just, you know, it's just such an interesting thing to think about how the past is impacted as well. And people don't realize it too, especially people that live like right on the coastline that you go out a couple of miles and beneath the surface, you have a ship that might've had the most wild and unique and crazy story about how it ran aground or, you know, people, I mean, everyone loves the stories and, you know, now as these shipwrecks continue to disintegrate, they're going deeper onto the ground until they're no more. And maybe for your grandfather, his grandfather was the captain of that ship. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing you have left. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it's disappearing because of all the different things that are going into this, this change. And it's, just, it's fascinating to think about that. It's something where, you know, we don't think about things. And then once we see it or hear it, you're like, wow, that is so interesting. Yeah. And I think the interesting part as you're, like all of this is interesting, first of all, but second of all, that there is a tie back to climate change as to why this is happening, you know, because it's like, why, right? Why are these ships being exposed? I can understand that they're, you know, obviously changing the ecosystem as they're being exposed, but why are they being exposed? Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? So more of these extreme weather events are happening. So you may get a storm that is really, really big swells and, you know, underwater that move it a little bit, then the next one comes through and it's in a position where next thing you know, that, that ship is broken apart into pieces. And then some of those pieces are floating away. Some of those are disintegrating. I mean, it's something that's happening and we're not even seeing that unless it's through the eyes of a diver, which actually this whole thing makes me want to go and get my diving license and, um, <laughs> go down there and see it firsthand. So I'm kind of intrigued now. <laughs> it, well, like you need any more projects. <laughs> Meredith, <laughs> the, pro the project queen. I mean, <laughs> this is so interesting to me. And I guess my question to you is, obviously you caught the attention of me and Kirsty with this story. What was the response from you know, your, your, maybe your news team, the people of Long Island, what was their thought? Everybody I think was kind of just surprised. Like my, uh, one of my very good friends, Antoinette Fiorti, she's my co-anchor on the weekends. Um, when I was talking to her about it, she had done a story on diving, I believe year or two ago. And that didn't even cross her mind when, you know, she was doing that story, but now it's like, it gives that whole different perspective. And every single one of my photographers and other people I worked with that I showed the story to before it aired, I mean, they just sat there and were just blown away that this is yet again, another example of how our changing climate is impacting our earth. And for some people daily lives and our, even our, it's altering our history. 
And I remember the one photographer I talked to, um, I worked with him on another story. He was just like, you actually stood on the beach next to a shipwreck. That's so cool. (laughs) I remember him saying that directly. And I'm like, yes. And it's crazy because that's history. I would have never seen in my life that Superstorm Sandy washed part of it ashore. And I bet you most people in Long Island had no idea if you walk that much further on the beach into this more desolate area, you're going to find parts of the, um, the Bessie White. That I think that's really what kind of like blows my mind in this whole situation. It's that, you know, you're, you're standing next to this one shipwreck, but there are so many more. And this isn't just a Long Island coastline type of situation. This is also um, going to be a problem up and down the East Coast. Absolutely. And it, it, I'm interested, you know, in learning more about other regions. I mean, especially if there are some coastal areas where, say, they might have more runoff than others or they have more, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, sometimes it, it, I shouldn't I should have had more coffee this morning, but, you know, runoff from um, like plants and things, you know, and you're you're disrupting that or, you know, say further south where we know the waters are a lot warmer, a lot longer. And I know there are shipwrecks. But the person I interviewed just was diving off the Florida coast. So then you think, okay, we just had Ian, for example. Did that impact our shipwrecks in the Gulf? Right. Probably. Yeah. So I think this is something where I started the the topic. I brought this up, but now I would be interested to see if more people would look into this and collaborating and even on like the government levels, you know, with NOAA what's going on and is there anything i mean i don't think there's much we can do especially mm-hmm. with these storms coming in but does that mean now we need to get more divers out there to document this information yeah. to document what's happening right. yeah and i think so and I, I really do believe this is just like the tip of the iceberg not like pun intended but maybe a <laughs> right. little bit you know <laughs> so, yeah exactly but you know as the water is changing coastlines are changing and i know that they're different types of ships but i think you know, off the coast of Hawaii, you know, Pearl Harbor, you know, mm-hmm. those ships that you can see, um, what, what is climate change doing to those ships? And that if has anyone such wants a- to fly me out there and go do that story, okay, I would love okay. to, because I've never special. seen it. And that's one on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, take me with you. Yes. But I think of like, that has such a historical significance. Not that those shipwrecks along Long Island do not, right. but such a historical significance to, you know, Our, globally right. um, of what happened there. So I'd be interested to see if there's any impacts from that. So I think we should see more and more stories like yours. They're so interesting. And I'm so happy that you, you know, dug into this story. Especially, uh, we talk a lot about being in Ohio. So when we talk about climate change, everybody thinks of just beach erosion or wildfires out West or the drought out West. And, um, you know, this is something that again, we don't have shipwrecks per se, Mm -hmm. but it's such an interesting topic that it's just another way to just think about it and, and think about like, it doesn't have to be happening in Ohio for it to be impactful or for it to be Mm -hmm. interesting and for it to impact, like you said, the research that we're able to do and, and some of the connections we're making to the people that were on those shipwrecks way back, you know, hundreds of years ago, we're kind of losing that connection 
as our climate is changing and, and impacting these boats. So well, think about the Great Lakes. Yeah. How many shipwrecks happen there? Right. And you know, that's know. fresh, that's not salt water. But it's still but yes, what's going on? Is the temperature mm -hmm. rising? Is is there something that's also impacting? I mean, you think about a lot of the factories that were along the coastlines, mm -hmm. Indiana, Ohio. Right. Is there something that's going on that we don't know about because we haven't focused on that topic? Are there divers that have been in the Great Lakes? that have noticed changes over the years, but haven't really said anything because they didn't think it was anything of it except normal right. disintegration. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And, and shipwrecks and boats, that's just one, one portion of it. But when you're talking about changing water temperatures, we've talked about this um, because of our geographical location to the lakes that I've read some studies about the lakes not getting as cold in mm -hmm. the winter time. And so that means you have a longer, um, chance for lake effect snow events as opposed to right centuries ago right. and how does that impact erosion as well when you get those strong winds you don't have the ice that's frozen for yeah. several months of the year but now you're getting these crashing waves on on the coastline there so a lot of climate Moving change parts. yeah interesting nuggets there um i do want to change gears a little bit here um because I have you on here and I want to talk about space. Yeah. Meredith, Woo! I can't have you on and not talk about space uh, for our listeners and watchers. I don't think they know <laughs> how much of a space nerd you are. So <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. It's interesting because I, I talk about my story about, you know, when I was a little girl and being a meteorologist and now here I am as a scientist, but back in 2017, I think that's when I can say I was fully bitten by the space bug because I always get asked that question. They're like, when did you make that shift or that change? And, you know, I love Star Wars growing up. I always loved watching some of the, those space movies, but I actually was in Santa Barbara, California, working at the Fox and the ABC affiliates there. And I started to do a story with the National Weather Service office in Los Angeles about the GOES satellite program. And for those who are watching that aren't familiar, those are the next generation satellites that have been crafted and put together uh, between NASA and NOAA. And that's giving us all of that better resolution. I mean, you look at those images, for example, of the hurricanes and you can see the eye and you can see the clouds mm -hmm. in the eye wall. That's from these GOES satellites. And there's four in the series. And so far we have three that have launched. There's still one more to go up, but it was the second one, GOES-S, which is now goes 17, 17 yeah. which was goes west which is getting moved because it had issues as we know like you know anything else in life you live you learn right yeah um but so uh but but i was working on working with that national weather service office because they were getting the preliminary data from the first satellite from uh, goes r which is now goes east and they were showing me the data and they were showing me what they were learning because they knew the next one that would go up was going to be the one looking over the Western hemisphere, which right. would help with their forecasting of, you know, storms coming in, atmospheric rivers impacting California all the way up the coast, wildfire detection. And so I sat down for about a half a day with them and did a story on their research and how they were using some of this preliminary data and what they were going to be looking forward to with this satellite watching over the Western hemisphere. And I realized that aside from, oh, there was a launch to space, there wasn't a lot of space reporting going on. Mm -hmm. And just like as scientists, for us, we have the job and the privilege to go on air every day and take something that's complicated and complex like we do and, and bring it down to an easy to understand story for people, whether you're five or 95. Mm -hmm. 
And I kind of felt that as scientists, if we're good storytellers too on that aspect, why not start reporting on the exploration and the science and the technology that's going on in space? And so I covered my first launch back in, was it 2018? But um, when I moved to Colorado to Denver, I was by United Launch Alliance. I was by Lockheed Martin. And these are some of the big space companies, aerospace companies that are manufacturing and putting together these satellites. And so I got to know goes, oh gosh, uh, RS. I have to remember, there's so many satellites. Yeah, right. One. I'm like, I can't um, help you on that one. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I actually, I'm looking because I have a whole thing on my wall with my first decade of my career and all the uh, space stuff I covered. Oh, and I got I patches. That. Yeah. Um, I got patches and, and medallions and all that cool nerdy stuff. I'm not going to bore anybody, but, um, no. but I got to do an exclusive from after the satellite was built to flying with the satellite on one of the biggest aircrafts in the military to Florida. That is so cool. <laughs> Talking to people the whole time, um, sitting in the front of the plane with these like military geniuses nice. and they're flying the plane. And I'm just like, oh, wow, this, this is, is so this cool. Is can I fly them? No, you can't fly the plane. <laughs> okay, I'll just sit here and enjoy it and ask questions. Um, and then actually seeing it launch in the process. And, you know, that really got me excited, but also when I saw how excited my viewers got to learn about ways that we are going into the next frontier per se and things we are doing in space. And then I, through that, I started getting opportunities with NASA to interview the former administrator and deputy administrator, the head of science. And then I was talking to experts from different organizations and then astronauts on the space station telling me about the science experiments they're doing up there. And I realized that you know, there's a need for a different type of reporting, but I mean, reporters do a great job, yeah. but when you have a scientific background and you can kind of mesh with these people and talk about how you see science, how they see technology, and mm -hmm. then be able to, through your experience, tell these stories, there's such a need for that. So that's kind of how I got that whole rocket girl nickname. Mm -hmm. And I've been going out and doing a lot more interviews and really making sure that science is part of our newscasts every week and um, at science as well as space that is. Yeah. Um, it's been really exciting. And I'm starting to see now a lot more people doing that. McCall, I know you put some stuff out sometimes. And so I think people don't realize how much is going on in space mm -hmm. and how much what's going on in space is actually helping us here at Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that makes it sense, um, that jump from weather to space reporting, right. considering most of the news right now is about those satellite launches and that directly impacts us That's as meteorologists. So it makes sense that a meteorologist would be covering that. Not only do we have the science background, it is part of our daily life. Right. But there's so many more advancements that are coming um, with space news that I just wonder, are you just excited about that next thing that you can talk about and share with your viewers? I'm so excited, you know, and people learn stuff too, just like that feedback I got from the shipwreck story and everyone's eyes just kind of light up. And the goal of our storytelling is what comes next. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you've told a story, the right way, you've got people wanting to know what's next. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting on the edge of their seats, just like when we were watching Star Wars as kids and episode, the episode came out and then we had to wait for another one. I mean, it's just like our favorite TV shows, you know, but this is reality. This is what's actually happening. And 
when I'm researching and finding out we're growing things in space, where if something happened here on Earth and we couldn't grow a certain plant anymore, we're trying to find ways we could grow it on the International Space Station. And then down the road, can we do some of this stuff on Mars? I mean, it seems way out there, but it's actually not. I mean, we're in the process of, you know, we already have a rover going around Mars and a helicopter going around (laughs) Mars. I mean, who would have thought that was ever going to happen? I know. It's amazing. Um, I love that you're able to make that a part of, like you said, uh, the daily, well, daily when it is possible, but that you cover it frequent enough that your viewers know that they're going to be able to get that inside scoop into some of these more complex space stories, um, as well as just the daily forecast. And I do think that that pivot which kind of makes sense for you and McCall as the station scientist for the AMS, uh, you know, that that has become part of our lives mm-hmm. as meteorologists. It's more than just your forecasting and you're tracking severe weather now. Um, I think our community hopes and wants us to be able to take some uh, interesting complex things, whether it's space related or climate change related and, and try to break it down and make it easy to understand. So I do agree um, as a space nerd, it is fun to be able to make things uh, easy to digest and, and to be like, no, 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 this is important. We need to get this in today. We can't ignore this story. Right. right. Um, so I mean, kudos to you. And you think about, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, you think about, you know, things that lead a newscast and it's like, wow, we're sending more astronauts to space. And it's like, okay, the rocket launch is exciting, but let's take this one step further. Right. Why are they going up there? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? They're not just going up there, taking a bunch of selfies and coming right. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, mean, they're probably doing a few. <laughs> I mean, there's so much going on. And I think, and I, I, I tell this to people all the time, being on TV, and I'm sure you both can agree, it's a privilege mm-hmm. what we get the opportunity to do every single day. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, our lives are public. What we do is public, but we get the people trust us to get to them and tell them what's going on. And so we have that opportunity to make a difference and to bring these stories to life. I mean, you go back, I mean, before us, you think about the shuttle era. Mm-hmm. And you think about when the, the space race first started from when Sputnik right. went up to when our astronauts were getting up into space. Yeah, This is a whole new era now, and we are taking it another step further. And so why not get people excited about that? I mean, I'm getting chills just talking about it right now. <laughs> so, words from the rocket girl. Yes. yes. <laughs> Meredith, we just have a couple minutes left, but I want to make sure that our listeners and watchers can follow you mm-hmm. because you are always putting out some really interesting content, whether it's climate or space, or, you know, she's a singer, right. she's <laughs> sang the national anthem, I don't know how many sporting teams. What's your most recent? Did you do it for Cleveland Guardians? I did do it for uh, for Cleveland Guardians last August. And that That's for so me cool. was the hometown, like growing up in that stadium and finally singing. And it was another another example of never give up on your dreams because I did it twice now. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so let, let our listeners and watchers know how they can follow you and, and see all of the fun stuff you're doing. So it's actually quite easy. If you look up at, and then my last name, G-A-R-O-F as in Frank, A-L-O-W-X, like weather, you can Mm -hmm. find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. So if it's more of a professional, like let's, let's talk about more story ideas. Um, Yeah, please connect or let's just talk about space in in general and life. And as, as McCall is as well, I'm a big advocate for women in STEM Mm -hmm. and space. And so I love to do a lot of mentoring and and programs, encouraging young women uh, to go for that sort of career. And so anything I can do to help or students or classrooms, I'm all, I'm all game. (laughs) 
she is. She she's nonstop. I mean, I've yeah. known Meredith for a couple of years now. She doesn't stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love it. But she, you know, like you said, women in STEM. I think the relationship that um, we've had and other female meteorologists, mm-hmm. it really inspires us all to grow and be better. And the best way to do that is have the best people in the same room and on the same podcast. Yay. So Meredith, thank you so much for joining us. Right. And hopefully we'll get to chat again sometime soon. Um, we can do a whole space series. Yeah, I think. We'll Meredith, back on. We'll have you on. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, awesome. Um, for all of our listeners and watchers, thank you as always for joining us on Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast.